Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, We have been reading Paul's letter to the Galatian church together, and uh, this morning we're going to look at one of uh, what I think is one of the most well-worn and well-known parts of the letter. Uh, From the time that Paul wrote it until now, Christians of all stripes uh, in every generation have returned to this part of the letter again to reflect on it, to uh, meditate on it, to memorize it, to write about it, to pray about it to write songs about it, to yell at it, to shed tears on it, and to find hope in it. This is the part of the letter where Paul writes that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, Paul says, there is no law. So I'm going to read from Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26 for us. You can follow along in the order of worship where it's printed or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus, Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we just sang uh, those ancient words that we are turning unfilled to you again. And this is absolutely true of every one of us in here this morning, starting with the preacher. And it is true of us even if we don't recognize it to be true or want to admit that it's true or even perceive it to be true. But we do need to hear from you. We need our heads lifted up. We need to see your light and your truth. And so we ask, Father, that you use this word that we have read together, that we've heard together, that we're going to think about and talk about together to lead us by the hand to the Word incarnate, Jesus who bears our flesh, who is praying for us right now. Show us his grace again and change us by it. And we ask it in his name. Amen. Well, I, uh, I do not usually wear a watch. I usually just wear a watch on Sundays. I have it on uh, right now. Um, But even though I don't wear it often, I really like uh, my watch a lot, and it's going to sound like a commercial, but I want to tell you that it's a Citizen Echo Drive. Um, I've had it for more than 10 years, 
And uh, before that, I had one exactly like it for uh, another five years before that. I lost that one on a camping trip. When the time came for me to replace the watch that I lost, I just bought exactly the same watch again. I really like it. And one of the reasons that I like it so much is that it is always on. It never stops. I have never wound it. I have never changed a battery in it for over a decade. Without fail, every time I pick this thing up, it is running. And for all I know, it will keep on running indefinitely or until all the gears inside just wear themselves out. It uses light somehow to power itself, but it doesn't matter if this thing is in a drawer, a dark drawer for weeks on end. I can take it out, pick it up, and that thing is running. It just always runs. It does not stop. There may be some wizardry involved in it. I don't know. I don't want to think about it that much. It's just always on, and I couldn't make it stop if I wanted to. And maybe strangely, this part of the letter made me think about my watch. Because Paul describes in, in almost war-like terms something that is constantly on in the heart of God's people. It is constantly running. It is never turned off. And the thing that he says is always on is our desire. Our desire. We are always desiring something. Our desiring is always on. Here's how he talks about it. He says the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit are constantly opposed to each other in our hearts. It's like that restless sea of waves that we prayed about in the prayer of invocation. They are constantly opposed to each other in our hearts, and that constant struggle often keeps us from doing the things that we really want to do. And I think this is one of the most potent images in the New Testament for living the Christian life. I think it's a great way to think simply about being human. We are always moving towards something. We are always being inclined in one direction or another direction. The nature of the human heart is that it is not static. We are desiring beings who are always chasing something. And here's the really important thing. The thing that we're chasing after, the thing that is competing for our affection, is going to determine how we live and how we love in this world. That is unfailingly true. The thing that we chase after will in turn determine how we live and love in this world. Knowing that that's true, knowing that this is always on, knowing that this is constantly happening in our hearts is an important part of living our Christian lives. And Paul here in this part of the letter is trying to make sure as best he can that his friends are chasing the right thing, that they are moving toward a life of good and a life of flourishing, a life with the fruit of the Spirit present and growing. Church, That is exactly the kind of life that every one of us in here has been made for. So in the passage Pastor Dan walked us through last week, Paul told his friends that they had been called to freedom. And that is the essence of this entire letter. For freedom, Paul said, for freedom, Christ has set you free. 
And even though they could have used that freedom however they wished to use that freedom, Paul, of course, hopes that they will use that freedom to keep the law of love. This is, this is how he talked about it. He said, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, in love, serve one another. That's easy to say. It is a beautiful vision for life. It is a beautiful vision for us as a people. But it is, if we're being honest, not easy to work out in the daily living of our lives, in life on the street as you and I know it. So Paul paints a picture of that kind of life, and he shows the church that they have everything that they need. We have everything that they, we need to live like that picture. In verse 16, he sums the whole thing up in four words. Walk by the Spirit. So this is where Paul gets to those desires, that constant restless sea of waves that are happening in our hearts all of the time, in God's people. And he says the same thing twice just flips words around, just to make sure that we get it, to make sure that we understand and that we're hearing him. He says the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the desires of the flesh. Church, that, that's what freedom is like. That's what freedom sounds like. It means we're free. It means that we're not locked down like robots. But, of course, that freedom cuts both ways. We could walk into the self-giving love that we have been made for. But we could also walk into a self-serving way of life that leads to hurt and pain and guilt and isolation from one another. This is where those of us who are Christians find ourselves every day. In the freedom of being able to walk towards one thing that is competing for our affection or another. And for those of us here this morning who are not Christians or maybe who are newer to the faith, I just want to say that I think that this is one of the most beautiful things about genuine Christian faith. It does not shy away from this reality, from this part of living life as a Christian. It doesn't gloss over it. It does not pretend that it's not there. No one, no one should be pretending that we have it all together. No one should be pretending that we have this thing all figured out. Genuine faith faces the fact that we can and sometimes do choose harmful ways of living. It faces that head on. And it says everywhere in Scripture, this is precisely the reason that we need Jesus, our elder brother. This is why we need a father who is moving towards us with love and intention. This is why we need a spirit who is working overtime for people like us. And so Paul says the spirit is in conflict with the flesh. Now, because of the way that we have used these words in our culture for the last couple hundred years, it's important to make something clear right away. When Paul talks about spirit and flesh in conflict with one another, he's not talking about some kind of conflict between the material world and the immaterial world. 
as if the things that really matter are floating off in some isolated spiritual place and we toil away here in earthy things. This way of thinking about life is completely nonsensical to Paul. He wouldn't be able to even begin to make sense of it because we're the ones, we are the ones who have carved up our world into sacred and into secular and into spiritual or non-spiritual, into the above and the below. And nothing could be further from Paul's thought. Nothing could be further from the teaching of all of Scripture, which is that everything, every moment belongs to God. It is all sacred. So when Paul talks about flesh and spirit, what he is talking about is two ways of living and two ways of being. He's talking about two competing sets of allegiances and motivations and affections that are always vying for our attention, that are always setting up the course of our actions. What he's saying is simple. He's saying one of these things is always going to be sucked into the center of our motivations. It's always going to be competing and wanting our primary affection. In the contrast, it could not be more stark. He says the works of the flesh are evident. And then he goes in verse 19 into that list of really heavy stuff, things like sexual immorality and impurity and strife and jealousy and anger and envy and drunkenness and divisions. The power of that list is in its starkness. The church would have gotten it. That's why Paul says these things are just evident. It's clear that he's talking about the kind of life that leads not to peace, not not to flourishing, but to pain and to brokenness. Not just in the life of the person who is living these things out, but in the lives of everyone around that person. Because that ecology, that way of living is not pretty. It is a mess. It is a horror show. It is a vandalism of what has been created good. It works counter to God's intentions for human beings. But, Paul says, and this is the really great news that we desperately need to hear, but, Paul says, there is another way of living. There is another path. There is another thing vying for our affection and attention that is completely counter to that old, corrosive, broken way of living. But, Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The power of that list is in its starkness as well. It is starkly beautiful. This list sounds like freedom. It sounds like the kind of stuff that I want in my life. It sounds like the kind of stuff I want in the lives of people all around me. It sounds like the kind of stuff that I want for us as a church, as a family, as a people. It sounds exactly like the kind of life that this broken, tired, hurting, angry, sad, frustrated world needs. We would like to bear this kind of fruit. 
We would like to harvest this kind of fruit. We would like to eat this kind of fruit. We would like to give this fruit away for free for the good of the world. Because the ecology of this way of living leads to our good, and it leads to our flourishing, and it leads to the healing and the rebuilding of systems and people all around us that have been broken by the vandalism of sin. And church, this is the way of living we have been made for. This is what we're here for. And it sounds beautiful. And it sounds like we want it. But we know, too, that it's elusive, isn't it? We can't just make this fruit grow in our lives. We can't just wake up in the morning and go, Today, I put on patience. Today, I'm going to put on love or self-control. I mean, you can say that. But if we're being honest, we know that in our power, we cannot keep it up for very long. We don't just need a compelling picture of the life that we have been made for. We need to know how we can get into that picture, how we can live the life it depicts. And it would remain forever elusive to us. It would always be this brass ring we could never get a hold of if it weren't for the amazing thing that Paul says next in verse 24. He says, this way of living has been graciously handed to us by Jesus himself. By our faith in him, Jesus has placed us into that picture to live that life. Those who belong to Jesus, Paul says, have crucified the flesh. Not they could if they want to. Not if they try really hard they can. They have crucified the flesh. That old way of living, that destructive, corrosive way of being has been killed for us. It does not have to win in the battle for our allegiance. Its power over us has been limited. Not because of anything we've done or earned or anything we could ever do or earn, but simply because when Jesus went to the cross, he took us with him so that what is true of him is true of us forever. Jesus stared down the works of the flesh. He stared it down in the eye. He stared down our works of the flesh in the face. And he became the victim of them for a time on his cross before he destroyed their power over people like you and me forever in his resurrection and in his ascension. He didn't do that for his own good. He did it for our good. And the result is that we who belong to Jesus, we who have rested our faith in Jesus, have been raised with him into that new life. And we have been set to run in this world with a freedom like we have never, ever known before. That's the kind of grace that changes you. And if you've experienced it, you know that you will never be the same again. And one of the things that changes in people who rest their faith in Jesus is that that fruit the characteristics of that new life begin to show up in you because it's not the fruit of me. And it's not the fruit of you. (laughs) It is the fruit of the Spirit. And that is what he promised to do. 
We heard it in the gospel lesson clearly from Jesus' lips. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. He grows this life in us as we cling to him, as we abide in him, as we remain with him. This is where we come to our part in this, because it's at the heart of what Paul is saying here. It's at the heart of this constant pull of affections in our hearts. It's at the heart of these four simple words that he started with. Walk by the Spirit. Our part in this, and we absolutely have a part in this, is to walk. In verse 25, Paul says it like this. If we live by the Spirit, and we definitely do, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Our place in this is to bask in the grace of this new life by clinging to the one who gave it to us and walking in faith with him. And I don't mean anything mysterious. I don't mean anything tricky. It's as everyday and as concrete as you can get. We keep in step with the Spirit. We abide with Jesus. We remain in him by practicing the everyday disciplines of the Christian life. Repentance and faith, confession and assurance, scripture reading and prayer, coming together for worship like we are here, practicing the sacraments, being with one another, serving together with one another outside of these walls, serving one another here within them, practicing generosity with our time and practicing generosity with our resources, the everyday disciplines of the Christian life, not just for 75 minutes on a Sunday when we're together. These are meant to punctuate every moment of our lives. That's why we encourage small groups and discipleship cohorts and fourth Wednesdays and retreats. That's why we collect meals for families who need meals. That's why we give of our resources to missionaries who work in difficult places. That's why we foster opportunities to serve one another and our kids. Because in the doing of these things, we are practicing remaining in him and abiding in him. And when people like us gratefully participate in these things, we are remaining with Jesus. We are keeping in step with the Spirit. And the promise that Jesus makes is crystal clear. We will bear much fruit. The fruit of the Spirit are a picture of the life that we have been made for. And at the very same time, they are the life that Jesus grows in people like us as we abide in him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have made us desiring beings. We don't need to be told this is true. We know it deep in our bones. You have made us as desiring beings to move towards you, to move towards one another. And so, Father, we ask that you would help us to abide, that you would help us to remain, that you would help us to practice these disciplines that keep us abiding and remaining and walking in step with the Spirit. Father, do this 
for our good and for our healing and for the good and healing of the broken world around us. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.